ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to yet another episode of Thoughts on Films. My name is Fikri. And yes, and on the line is uh, the voice of the one, the only, the Eza Mahmoud. Eza, assalamualaikum. Hey. I'm doing all right, thanks. What about you? You're doing all right? Good, good. So far, so good. Enjoying the <laughs> our, our restriction movement order, working at home and watching a lot of films and content online and offline. So, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, COVID-19 cinema or lockdown cinema lists being shared around online. I, I think we probably have mentioned them a number of times before, but uh, maybe that's something we'll get into a bit more later on. Uh, for now, and for this episode, actually our focus is going to be a lot on the kind of stuff that you can find online, which is to do with uh, micro-documentary channels. For listeners of the previous episode, you may have noticed we spent some time talking about Walkabout Asia, which is a channel Eza is currently attached to. And that yeah. is defined by Eza as a micro-documentary platform. And that kind of intrigued me more than just a little bit because I never really thought of it as micro-documentary. But when I thought about it a bit more, I realized, actually, we <laughs> we know a fair amount about this. And it's probably a, a decent time to sit down and have a chat about this. There's plenty that we can get into. I'll, I'll share a bit more of my perspective. And, and, and so will Eza. So the first half of today's show is going to focus on the upsides, if you will, the, the, the good and uh, the beautiful, <laughs> the advantages of such micro-documentary channels and platforms. The second half of today's show is going to be a lot more attuned towards the downsides. By that, what I mean is perhaps the disadvantages of us relying on these channels and platforms as a way of getting information about the world. Uh, before we get started with all of that, though, Eza, uh, there's a bit of follow-up you wish to do about uh, the Walkabout Asia business model. What are we looking at here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember telling like how we are also a production company, but I also remember that oh, now because uh, Walkabout Asia has reached, has reached about uh, 600 plus um, thousand likes and following mm-hmm. on um, Facebook. So we do this thing called um, uh, digital con- sorry content marketing mm-hmm. where under walk of Asia and uh, companies can approach us and we meet halfway in terms of what kind of stories mm-hmm. that we like to do and that they would like to also uh, be part of and then uh, we'll have on the caption saying uh, this video is what you buy the company so basically yes it's that's how uh content marketing works Mm. really okay fair enough fair enough i I do remember seeing a number of those videos and posts on the facebook page of walkabout asia Uh, no real issues with that by and large i mean initially there was the idea that perhaps this leads to the kind of content creation that's more driven by other people compared to what is uh, newsworthy or, or what is most relevant and whatnot. But I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> we, we are now very much in the age of uh, embedded or native advertising uh, becoming very natural for quite a lot of people. So I'm not saying that this is a form of native advertising. I'm just saying that, you know, having 
other people driving the content creation uh, other than the, the, the platform itself, that's not a particularly unique thing anymore. So, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much for enlightening us further on that subject matter. And I'm hopeful that we can do the same for today's topic, which is, uh, yeah, micro-documentary. Micro-documentary, yes. Yes. Uh, so, we... We had a bit of a chat about this in the WhatsApp group, uh, talking a bit more about this kind of stuff. Because when you first mentioned the term, uh, as I've mentioned just now, I did not really kind of get the picture of, of that you are painting. But then, after you defined it a bit more, I realized that actually, I know so much about this. Um, not, not, not so much about it in the sense that I'm, I'm a totally an expert and whatnot, but because in, in the course of my own personal uh well, my professional career, if you will, I use quite a, a lot of content from these kind of channels as a way of supplementing the lectures I deliver in class and such. So this this is all actually something that I, I think uh, up until very, very recently, something that I'm very, very familiar with. So I just wonder whether we can delve a little deeper into this. Uh, for those of you who may not know, when we speak of micro-documentary channels, we're talking about uh, a number of different channels where you have short videos being made and being shared primarily online. You do have some of these videos being shared through what I would refer to as legacy media channels like the BBC or CNBC and whatnot. And, and they all have their own roles to play and such. But we're looking at something like Vice. We're looking at something like Vox. Uh, in the Malaysian context, uh, I think we brought up Our Age previously as a good example of this. Uh, in the Indonesian context, uh, I've in the past referred to channels like Pintar Politik, Remote TV, and Kok Bisa. <laughs> that, that that channel's name always gets me. Yeah, it's very it's very fun though. It's it's very enlightening and very uh, entertaining in its own way. Um, Is but it like Buzzfeed even kinda? Haven't looked into Kok Bisa. What does it mean, sir? Kobisa is basically <laughs> Kobisa is basically me is is a term. No 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 problems. It's a term often used by Indonesians to kind of wonder out loud whether that is something that is possible. So bisa basically means possible and not just bisa like you got bit by a snake. Ah, it's like there is that as well. I, I, so I need, I probably need I, I should have explained that to you and to to you our listeners. We're not talking about snake bites. Um, we're, we're talking more about uh, possibilities, if you will. Okay, uh, and ko is like uh, it's like an exclamation point, but in word form. Does it make sense? It's like ko. It's like if if something happens, it's like ah ko bisa. It's like what uh, we we. Uh, we have a new thing. Um, what Netflix is uh, not banned by the government? What ko bisa? It's like, are you sure? So it's basically asking the, are you sure? Uh, is it real? Is it? Yeah. So that's that's kind of like the meaning that I understand when I come across the term ko bisa. So the channel's name is also ko bisa, and it seeks to explain quite a number of different things about the Indonesian context to Indonesians. Primarily, although they do have um, English subtitles for people who are not Indonesian or who people cannot understand uh, Bahasa Indonesia. So the kind of video content they do is, for instance, the, the one video that I often refer to in my own class is a particular video that uh, I think it is titled 
kenapa uh, um, kenapa internet di Indonesia uh, lemot? So lemot means slow. So why is the internet connection or the internet uh, connect um, network in Indonesia why is it slow basically? So so there's a kind of stuff that it produces and. Okay. We we have like two to three minutes of very very entertaining and animated videos uh, that is very useful uh, for me personally because sometimes you do wonder well why do Indonesian internet connections um, lag more than just a little bit at times so so it's quite it's quite fun it's very well done I I enjoy it greatly uh, and that's an example of the kind of micro documentary channels that we're really uh, talking about. Um, If I may add, like this is similar. I I would say, not per se exactly, but kind of similar the concept uh, to like crash course. Also a YouTube channel. Mm, yes, yes. It's not. It's slightly longer. Uh, crash course and the art assignments. So yeah, this is nice. This is this is good. I I'll take that out. Yeah, cr- crash course is another fantastic one. That one is. Mm-hmm. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, up until recently, or maybe even still until now, it it is uh, something, or it was something supported by PBS, uh, which is the public broadcast service in the United States of America. And that is one of their initiatives that they work with as a way of actually reaching out to to Americans primarily, but also, of course, you know, whoever in the world with, with internet connection, as a way of sharing all sorts of stuff about um, history, for instance. My personal favorite on Crash Course is John Green, who is also the author of The Fault in Our Stars and a and, and number of other um, novels. He hosts the, histo- the history side of Crash Course, and he's just so enthusiastic and so animated and so passionate that it becomes, oh, you know, you can't help but be swept up by his enthusiasm. He's like he's like the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, of yeah. of Crash Course uh, for for history. So if if you have John Green as your history teacher, for instance, I, I feel that it's going to be difficult to not pay attention because you can't help but be engrossed, not just with what he is saying, but with how he says what he what he is saying. So. So that's something that is, uh, yeah, very good. Um, Crash Course, it, it has a person hosting the show. Code Bisa is actually more of an animated oh, yeah. video with a voiceover uh, narrator. Yeah, narrating the, the action on screen. So that's something very good as well. What about you, Eza? I feel like I've been talking a lot about this. This is kind of like your area. I, let's share Let's share with us uh, a bit more of your thoughts and feelings. Uh, what, what kind of... Sh- Channels or shows do you follow on such micro documentary I think channels? It all it all started it all started in I think ten twelve years back when Vice are already have like they do a lot of documentaries, uh, micro documentaries, mm-hmm. and I think their topics are very interesting, mm-hmm. very forward, sometimes too forward, <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, it got me thinking like, huh. We also have probably similar issues here in Malaysia, but mm-hmm. uh, I think probably of censorship and um, I think they are daring enough and they have funding, I think, uh, enough to 
push them because I know Vice has like a extraction team. If like if 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 is anything happen to your uh, reporter, someone will come and just extract you out of that. Oh really? Don't know whatever. So yeah. So I think uh, it started every it started with Vice. Mm-hmm. Um and I watch most of the documentaries and because it's kind of micro documentaries but slightly longer it's more than five minutes but it tells enough story and they always have like the correspondent who uh, do the reporting um so I, I find it very interesting and very especially at that time it's the internet is booming you know we're getting high speed mm. internet and it's short enough to be consumed in like one sitting i usually just like you know what i was studying and have my lunch and then i just switch on one uh, vice videos so just watch it uh and yeah enjoy it <clears throat> i didn't uh, and then after that um great big story i think great big story came about and i discovered about box Mm. All these micro documentary channels. So mm. yeah, I just and and they're very pers- persistent in the in the way that they upload every week. Mm. And there's always new content. There's always you know their their topics are timely. If like you know uh, the month they have like something happening and they're really covering it. So yeah, I think they're very uh, it's fast paced and timely and. I also uh, nowadays after watching all these micro documentaries and uh, because now they have expanded to like they have mini series within that uh, that uh, channel like Vox has uh, borders Vox borders by Johnny Harris and then they have Earworm where they dissect about music or mm. a song or like a music video and. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, and I I love the genre, so I might be biased. So yeah, I think it 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 um it I like to watch it because it kind of make me feel like I'm informed mm. more. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, you do have that uh, feeling. Absolutely, I can relate on that front. And 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 I think one thing uh if you if let's say I watch one documentary from a Great Big Story. And and Great Big Story is interesting because um they 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 kind of like I I would say truer to the micro documentary. Mm-hmm. I yeah, this is my opinion. And and like let's say one day I was just sleepwalking with someone, and I remember about oh the documentary that I watched earlier. I'm like, hey, do you know that there's this cool mochi uncle guy trying to create mochi in Kyoto? You should check it out. So <laughs> nice. it will be a nice day. I know. Uh, yeah, it feels like um, just sharing information in uh, in in that way. Oh, that's yeah, brilliant. That's yeah, I, I remember from Great Big Story, I forgot to mention it in the list there, but certainly there are two videos mm. that stick out in mind. One is actually a video mm. looking at a group of rockers in Indonesia who wear the hijab. I mean, they are, they are girls, they are oh, teenagers, if I'm not mistaken. I remember watching that one. Yeah, so that was, that was fantastic. Again, that, that really helped me uh, in, in my class because whenever I teach in class, I like to look for something that is audiovisual. And so in, in a particular one-hour lecture, maybe I share at least two, maybe three 
videos that help to illustrate the point I was making. So I think that was something about uh, subcultures or something like that. So, so stuff like that where people kind of take on uh, different forms of identities and kind of mix things up together because if you look at the Indonesian context you think okay people wearing the hijab or wearing the tudung um, yeah you must be the kind of people who are repressed who are uh, suppressed by society but then they are playing punk music or rock music and you think huh what so so that's great big story um, that's one video I remember um, from great big story uh I have an issue with that, but we're gonna get to that in the second half of the episode. Still staying with the first, po- more positive half or, or side of things. Um, I, I will agree with you. Great big story is another one. Um, uh, Vice, yep. Uh, I think it was also helpful that they had a relationship with HBO initially. So when I think this was in 2014, perhaps when ISIS really started to become a, a real issue that, that the world was really afraid of. I think Vice was one of the digital media companies that really got into Syria and, and started to kind of report on ISIS on the ground. And, and they had this relationship or this contract with HBO where they would share their content on HBO itself. So I think that, in, that initial exposure on HBO allowed for Vice to get to the top and I think for quite a lot of people still remain at the top of this particular market because I think if you if you talk about these kind of channels we were talking primarily about Vice and Vox as the 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 number one uh, or, or would you like to suggest somebody else maybe there's another channel out there that is more prevalent more popular That's definitely great big, great big story okay alright great, great big story uh, is, is there up there as well okay and I know business insiders have like uh, a digital um, platform mm-hmm. also making micro documentary mm-hmm. and I discovered this poetic um, documentary uh, page in poetic documentary uh, I don't know yeah, I think I've, I've, um, I learned about it in the uni Bill Nichols did say something did uh, characterize all this modes of documentary and one of it is poetic documentary mm-hmm. and I think there's two that I want to share one is um, I'm not sure where it's a it's an English um, I'm not sure where it's from but it's called Nowness so it's it there a lot but it focuses more on the, uh, the artists like they interview ceramics interior, uh, interior designers and mm-hmm. um, like yeah, those are those are the uh, the t- kind of content where they focuses on like the makers mm. I also remember watching a lot of um, videos on Ether e- like E-A-T-E-R it's, it's more of like a lifestyle documentary channel uh-huh. Um, uh, I would say like sim- not similar to Vox, but has the has their own aesthetic. Uh, focusing on like Ether stand for eat, travel, and eh, E T E R. I'm not sure, about the word, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll check. I read more about it, but yeah, Ether is another challenge that <laughs> check out. All right, when you say yeah, Ether stands for something, I I'm thinking that Ether. So eat. 
and then T is for travel, and then ER is for the emergency room that you have to visit <laughs> after you eat and you travel because you kind of need to separate those things a bit. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so don't eat too much and don't travel too much, because otherwise you get to the ER. <laughs> All right. Yeah. By the way, Eza, you're no longer my student. If you don't want to laugh at my jokes, it's perfectly fine. Okay? It's, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> I can't give you I can't give you I can't give you, you know, marks for laughing at jokes anymore. So so that doesn't work. Yeah. It's it's fine. But no, all jokes aside, Eater, I remember seeing that before. Is it something like um if I'm not mistaken, uh BuzzFeed, they have like different uh kinds of channels. I think they have BuzzFeed Yellow or As Is, uh which looks at uh, again, lifestyle, you know, uh, it's it's kind of, it's like the, the the kind of like fashion shows or I remember on BuzzFeed Yellow what they used to have or maybe they still do have was a video on cosplay. So they were basically sharing. Uh, I I think it was basically looking at why people cosplay, the motivations and all this kind of stuff. So I, I thought that was interesting. Again, something I use in class. So. So that's how I would come across this uh, this kind of stuff because I think for the most part I I don't know I I don't think I would really sit down to watch them. You you would do it over lunch, but I I don't know. <laughs> I probably would not come across them unless I'm researching for something more specifically. Even your yang kata Vox border study dekan. I remember there's one video about the Indian border being drawn up by uh, Cyril Ratcliffe by the British government when they left India all those years ago. So that that is um something yeah, I came across that. Why? Because I I was teaching a class about the separation of, of the Indian uh, subcontinent at that time into into Pakistan, into India. Uh, and at first what was East Pakistan at first and now we call it Bangladesh. So so because I was teaching that, I was researching that and I came across that. And and these are the kind of things that I think can be very useful as well for all sorts of different peoples uh, out there. Um, so yes, uh, vice. Uh, in terms of the most influential channel, I want to say that Vox, in terms of the style, that they have become very. Can 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 I say that, or, or would you like to suggest something else? something I, I would say I don't like because I like it very much. It's very well done. Um, yeah. And they also produce stuff on... Do they still do that? Do they still produce content on Netflix or was it kind of like a one-time deal? Um, they, they, they... I think they, they, they still... They do. Like Initially, I thought just the one series of Explain and now Explain already have two series but and now we, they have, have a 
like a, I wouldn't call it sub-series, but a different series. <laughs> Sorry, what? Explained. But, <laughs> so, they have the main series called Vox Explained. Mm-hmm. And then, they also have like a different uh, series, also called, also called Explained, but focuses on a, a very specific topic, like the mind. So, they, they have... Um, just the whole series focuses on the mind, the psychology of the mind, like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they have uh, that kind of topic. Alright. Mm. I, I so? for the Netflix one, I remember using the K-pop documentary one. There was one that was about oh, K-pop. Yeah. For Again, for class. Um, <laughs> because if I talk about K-pop, people don't care. But if they actually watch Koreans talking about K-pop, then, then my students will care a lot more, so... Yeah, always gotta find ways of engaging. Ah, what? Are you okay for fan? No, no, I <laughs> no, not a fan per se. I keep in touch and I enjoy it to a certain extent, but I'm I'm still at the stage where for most of the groups and singers, I look at them and I can't tell the difference. I mean, they're all. <laughs> It it sounds a little racist, and in some cases, it might very well be some kind of unconscious bias on my part, girl. But that's that's just my feeling. I look at some of these groups, and I look at them, and they all look very very similar to one another, and I can't tell the difference uh, from one to the other. Um, so that's very bad of me, but but that probably explains the the level I'm at. So what is that? A fan? Not a fan? Um, no, no, it's okay. I, I have no issues with it. It's it's fun in its own way. It's better than me. I I don't really know anything about K-pop. I know my the one thing I know is my sister-in-law is obsessed with this mm. band called BTS, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. they are they are the flagship motherload of uh, K-pop right now, and and over the past few years. Uh, what I will say though is that. I'm not in. I'm not such a big fan of K-pop in the sense that it has become so dominant that if you come across any Korean musician, you are likely to think of them. If they say that, oh, I'm from Korea. Oh, what do you do? I'm a musician. Oh, are you a K-pop singer? <laughs> I feel like it's become the dominant brand that has swallowed up all the other identities that a Korean musician can or could be. And it makes it a little more difficult for people to think of of Korean musicians as anything other than K-pop uh, singers or, or dancers or artists. And, th- and that is something that I, I'm not a fan of, I must say. Because I would say that maybe not a fan of K-pop, but there are some bands, Korean bands. Uh, one is called Mate, M-A-T-E, that I am actually uh, quite interested in. They, they, they make some uh, very good music. Oh, they made good music at least in the past uh, they're not together anymore I think but the point is I look at that and I think oh that's fantastic right um, but then when I share it with other people who are into Korean music primarily K-pop uh, and when they listen to it they find that it's not what they expected which would usually be something a little disappointing for them because when I say that oh you know you guys should check out this band oh this Korean band so what, what Korean band <laughs> you know, when you say Korean band, you kind of have people think of the word Korean band as anything other than K-pop. It was so that's um, a little mm, yeah. um, un- disconcerting for me. Which actually, I know we're talking a lot more about K-pop than than we have been about micro documentaries <laughs> over the past few minutes. But there is a kind of link or, or connection 
to the second half of uh, today's episode, uh, which we will get to just in a short while. Um, very briefly before we do, Ezra, um, you, you wanted to share some uh, a bit more about why you think that these micro documentaries are positive, uh, important, significant, even um, for the 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 Ezra upsides of micro documentaries, if you will. We we talked a bit about that just now, but. Can we expand a bit more mm. on this? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, personally, I love micro documentary because it came in, you know, this tiny small bite that you can hadam and you can <laughs> hadam. Okay. There's <laughs> a good way of putting <laughs> it. And you can the So uh, and uh, you can uh, it's it's you can watch it in between, you know. Browsing your social media, you won't skip because it's short. Um, and mm. mostly, this micro documentary make things simpler and easier for you to understand. For, for enough for you to get the gist of what they're trying to say or the important things of one particular topic. <clears throat> for instance, you watch a documentary, let's say about uh, this place where they sell nasi lemak. Mm. How does one who says what nasi lemak? Or probably you don't, you 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 haven't been to Malaysia, or you don't know what nasi lemak is. So you came across this video and you watch it and like, huh? Probably I want to try to look or read more about it. So it can be like a catalyst for you to research more on the topic and invite you to to uh, learn and understand about this topic that probably you haven't uh, know before or learned before. So it can be like this the. The inciting incident for you to eventually read and understand and, and probably fall in love with it eventually. So yeah, I think that's the that's what that's what a micro documentary can do to you. Other than that, I feel like especially in Malaysian context, um, and with the abundance of I would I would say, uh. An unnecessary or like abundance of this jokes driven or you know a gossip driven content. Mm. I think it's important for us to have a little bit, probably just increase the midpoint of intellectuality by probably in in between your feed on the social media you have something that is um, informative and beneficial for you to learn, understand, and expand your understanding about things. Mm. So I think that that's what micro documentary. Those are the benefit of micro documentary, in my opinion. Lovely, very good. Um, what I love about your explanation is the fact that you said uh, inciting incident, which. <laughs> it's good to know that you still remember some of my lectures. <laughs> Oh goodness! Well done. Either that, yeah, we were just I looking helped. up the yeah, old lecture slides just before our recording session. <laughs> um, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, that's that. Um, that explanation is the inciting incident for us to take a short break at the midway point of our episode here. When we come back, a bit more on micro documentaries, but um, more of the so-called dark side, if you will, of documentaries, in a way. Um, we're going to be right back after this. Name that reflected that. We can build all of the context so that in order to begin to understand the news, you don't need to read it for a long time and understand 20% of the first article, then 23% of the second, then 25% of the fifth. 
we can actually just put the information there for you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the second part of today's episode uh, where we are looking at micro documentaries. Uh, in this half of today's show, we are going to look at the so-called downsides of uh, micro documentary channels and platforms and such. Um, well, what kind of downsides are we talking about here? Simply put, we, we, we've been talking about a lot of the good stuff uh, and how popular it is, how it's easily consumed by people. But, you know, just doing a bit of research about this kind of stuff prior to our session, it's financially, it's, it's not doing great. I, I mean, not just one or two channels or platforms, but overall, it feels like quite a lot of people are looking at this and thinking that financially... In terms of investment, in terms of uh, industrial support or, or reach and whatnot, it's not reaching the, the same kind of levels it used to reach uh, maybe just a, a number of years ago. So you have, for instance, Disney who have invested $400 million into Vice when it was right at the very peak. Now looking at this investment and saying that, no, nope, it's not worth uh, our investment uh, where we're not really investing as much in this so we're not really looking at this as uh, the main way moving forward so I, I, I thought that was interesting um, and then you also have uh, Vice themselves also kind of reducing the valuation of the international arms so what I mean when I say this is that they have a number of different entities around the world so they have for instance Vice UK which of course is based here in the, in the United Kingdom but the, the, the support for this is, is seen as uh, a little less than before, partly because of Brexit, because now they don't really know how the, the British business context is going to work all that well. Uh, what I will say is that they also have a presence in Indonesia. Vice Indonesia uh, also have, they have a local team based in Indonesia. And they do produce its own content. Uh, actually, a lot of its content is actually very good. But it also makes me wonder whether this is the kind of stuff that, in the short or medium term, is going to see to is going to lead to a reduction of support for documentaries for Vice Indonesia or Vice UK and whatnot. So, so that's um, that's an industry downside. Um, furthering. On from that, you also have the different subsidiaries. So you have Motherboard, uh, which is a subsidiary of Vice that looks more towards the computer side of things. Motherboard being, you know, the computer motherboard and whatnot. And that was a very interesting kind of subdivision that I I liked in the past. But then when I, again, researching for this, you know, the last video posted on Motherboard was... Um, a year, a year ago, maybe a year, more than a year ago, uh, and the last few videos, uh, the, the the views they have was just only a number uh, of thousands. Um, were for, hang on, let me just open up the. Um, I, I, from what I understand, Vice has a lot of like different different channels. They really, they really manage to just dissect their content into like different different. Uh, sections like ID focuses on the musician. I think Noisy also mm. focuses on those kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. They interesting. Do, they they do have different. I mean, it's it's actually quite in a way relatively smart because you have different mm. brandings that you can 
therefore target advertisers or, or different groups of audiences. And then when you bring together all these different channels, it seems a lot more impressive. You know what I mean? So it's not just the same group of people. Yeah. You're reaching out to different groups of people. But but this spreading out of, of the focus into different areas mm-hmm. with different brands or entities, it seems like it has led to a dilution of the audience itself. So I'm looking at the motherboard uh, YouTube page um, mm-hmm. and looking at the videos they uploaded. The, the last one was a year ago, apparently. And that one was 66,000 views. Uh, the one before that, Addicted to Bitcoin. That one was uh, 79,000 views. Um, and so it, there's a bit of an up and down. Um, some some videos, they have uh, 1.3 million. But then a number of the other videos, which I'm, you know, just, just in the five figures, you know, I'm looking at here, 37,000 views. Um and, and a number of others. Uh, some of them, uh, a fair number of them, I must admit, we, we get into the six figures, 469,000, 250,000, not really at the level of millions and millions that, that previously would have been the standard for this kind of video. So are we, are we looking at a kind of um, bust for, for the micro documentary industry um are we looking at the downturn in this particular context Ezra, what do you think are they just not being popular anymore um so on and so forth or am i looking yeah, at different well. yeah. i think um probably people just you know there's there's x amount of number of people that tune in mm-hmm. and they just consume different different uh medium Mm-hmm. Like probably most of most of them are in are on Netflix. I don't know. This is just an assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's more vice has, um, or vice channels has a lot more competition now with mm. people all over the world making content, and the algorithm works as um, you know, it's trying to make sure that people tune in. Uh, every single second so they need to make sure that they create an engaging content mm-hmm. always you know <clears throat> always try to clickbait and make sure that people tune in so it's it's hard to say probably I don't think people people um, get bored of it it's just that people want something different mm. like uh, probably there's so much of the sensational or sensation-driven content out there, and they just got like, oh, it's just another, it's just another sensation, it's just another thing. Mm. So probably they try to look out for a more different kind of content. Or I also understand the algorithm works where if you probably don't really watch that channel, they they try to <coughs> YouTube, for example, will will try to push different content that uh, they thought you might like. Mm. So probably, like, people don't watch Motherboard for just one episode or two episodes and it got, it's no longer on your feed. So, mm. okay. that's it. That's, that's, that's how I would say it. Um, and I think, looking into this also, um, documentary fans, I would say fans, like, people who actually like watching documentaries, is um we don't really know the figures but you know it's 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 not as 
to me it's fun I like it mm. but I have no problem with some other people who like to uh, uh, akin towards or uh, attracted towards more uh, artist driven or more go- like you know not 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 informative and knowledge and just mm. feel like um, releasing the attention watching you know less um, serious content probably so Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, do like. Uh, it's interesting to think about how how do how people what kind of people consume this kind of content, you know. So. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I mean, that that's a reflection. When you mentioned the algorithm, uh, I thought that's a very sensible explanation. Well, we do have Facebook and YouTube now having very different um, approaches uh, because people mm-hmm. upload stuff on YouTube but then YouTube of course as you explained in the previous episode is a different uh, platform a competitor to Facebook so Facebook is almost always mm-hmm. going to prioritize a bit more of the videos hosted on on Facebook itself and that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because I was looking at the numbers for our age uh, for rage mm-hmm. uh, against uh, <laughs> the machine if you will and here we go. So so just the latest, we are recording now on the 12th of April, the latest video on uh, our ages uh, YouTube channel, uh, why COVID-19 testing is so important. And that one was uh, posted yesterday, just a day ago, 1,000 views. Mm-hmm. But then if you check out the same video on Facebook, it's uh, nearly 20,000 views. So, so there is that difference, I think, in platform and, and uh, respective algorithm, uh, al- algorithms, uh, rather, that, that you have correctly pointed out. And that's something worth bearing in mind. Um, also, also, um, although we can't really uh, determine the quality of, of videos based only on, on their popularity, of course, because this kind of stuff, all sorts of yeah. different reasons, can you know, why one video is more, pop- uh, more popular than another. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a very good point. Um, we we didn't really speak about our age just now. Um, not so much. We, we spoke a bit more about the Indonesian one. Uh, again, just very briefly for those of you who don't know, our age is is like the the branch uh, of the Star newspaper in mm-hmm. Malaysia. It's the site that's cool. <laughs> if you see, if you say the Star newspaper. Um, Certainly, to someone like me, who is uh, of a certain age, uh, in my mid-30s, and I'm still looking at the star, thinking about uh, its political, economic affiliations and such. Um, So there's still this feeling that the star newspaper itself is a newspaper that is going to focus more on um, positive news for the government, at least previously. Uh, Now, I, I feel that it's a slightly different story, but... Previously, because for the longest time, newspapers in Malaysia, uh, the Star, NST, Utusan and whatnot, you see them in one way or another being connected indirectly to uh, the government uh, or to uh, different institutions of authority. You do feel like this political connection is something that cannot be ignored in determining how you actually analyse the news that you get in the Star or in Utusan and whatnot. Uh, But our age is actually... It's actually different, you know. It's not. It's not really. Yes. It's not really the star. It's it's like its own thing. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, it began life. Yeah, I l- that as well. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
just very briefly uh, before we get to, to your reflections, Ezra. Sorry, but but before I forget lah, um, because it started it started primarily as the the training ground. I think for some of the younger cub reporters or interns who would work with the stars. So you had what they call brats, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey. journalists, you know, younger journalists attached to star and whatnot. Uh, some of the earlier content on the RH YouTube channel also, you had open mic sessions where you had different musicians perform their, their own stuff. Uh, so that, that's the kind of grounding that it had. But, but more recently, we're looking at a, a lot of different kinds of series, like uh, The Last Survivor, which featured people who survived um, the Second World War. And so you had a lot of this uh, wargamas talking about life uh, in, in the context of Japanese occupation and all this kind of stuff. Uh, they had documentaries on May 13. So more recently, uh, a lot of the stuff that they have produced are stuff that's really fantastic as, as far as I'm concerned. And, it, and, and, we, and as we have talked about before as well, perhaps, um, Eye on the Ball, which is a documentary about the, the um, Malaysian national football team, mm-hmm. the blind national football team, uh, that also yeah. got started uh, as an RH uh, project, so to speak. So it is an RH project in its own right. So, so it's like its own okay. thing. And I, I find it very... Uh, very encouraging, very, in many cases, very enlightening. Um, and again, stuff that I have used in class as well. They, they have some videos about gender imbalances in Malaysia and such. And that's very, very useful. Um, yeah. Yeah. True that. Yeah, I think I think that's what trying to raise the midpoint is all about. Like, you need this kind of content for mm. Malaysia, especially young Malaysian to uh, tune in and learn and you know just um occupy yourself with uh some things that is you know in malaysia things mm. that are happening things going on uh, and they have like i i i somehow feels like they're not as biased as the star newspaper i agree with what you said and they show like both sides of um the story so Mm. So yeah, I I like I like that they are neutral stand and they are, uh, from what from the the one that I watched before, I'm not sure about now. Um, now now meaning like after what happened with uh, the new the new new government. <laughs> the new so, new government. Oh, we have to define I don't know. it. So it's it's, it's Lines in the sand. It's, yes. It came. It came. It came like um. And I, I don't I, I'm not sure how like Malaysian all over the world feel like Malaysia in Malaysia feels like I know there's difference of opinion and yeah I, it's in my opinion I feel like I know it, it could have gone better in uh in the uh, in the trans how this is the transfer on the overall I feel mm-hmm. it's not my not not um uh, I'm not keen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway. Uh great. She was talking about rage. What's beside the point is almost always the point. Ta da <laughs> Damn it, if I'm if I'm teaching in class now, I would have included that as a quote in one of my slides. And then I put there Fikri Jamari. Twenty twenty. <laughs> but yeah, no, the context basically helps to inform the text. Um, 
but but there's something that you mentioned there just now as well about our age uh, and I think that there's a good way to transition into some of the downsides of micro documentary channels and platforms mm. certainly in the Malaysian context you, you mentioned how it's it's not a very common thing as a it is like I am I consume local uh, medias like social medias uh, posting like videos and um and I find it quite um, imbalanced in a way that there's so much about the artists and the... It's not that I, I have nothing against them, it's just that it's just too much and it got me suffocated of all this unnecessarily. I don't know if you're butchering this person and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know what you had for you know, this artist you know, going ski somewhere and whatnot, but... Yeah, I feel like macam it, we, we are better than this and young Malaysian definitely better than this and that's why um, I feel like if you if you don't if probably us local documentarians or any anyone in Malaysia making stories or telling stories about Malaysia in a way that it's appealing and it's interesting and people will feel um, and, when, and when they watch it and they feel like, oh, there's, there's, there's so much more than these celebrities. Mm. Like, there's so much more to be proud of as Malaysian. Like, we have so many other things that would um, affirm our identity more than just uh, looking out at all these celebrities. And and I think that's one of the reasons why people gravitate to um, Hollywood and, and, and um, just other celebrities all over the world because we don't feel like we're good enough. Because mm. we, we don't feel like we have the things that make us proud. So I think that I personally feel like that's the that's the, the more that we need to do to, to to share the beauty of Malaysia that we will feel proud of. Mm. Other than, you know, this, this, this bowing to these celebrities and gossips and things that doesn't make us feel like, oh, we're, we're cool, so not these celebrities. So mm. We also have our culture heritage that we can uphold and be proud of. So that's the thing that I think affects the identity as a person. So, yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I see where you're coming from. I, I agree with you uh, on many levels as well. Certainly we find celebrity stardust a little more attractive. <laughs> Um, in, in, in a more general or, or mass sense. Um, maybe documentaries also, uh, as, as you have mentioned to me before, not, not particularly glamorous or financially rewarding, or at least the perception of that. Can, can that be uh, a key factor here? Definitely. I, I think so. But I think it really depends on the way you put it out, out there. Like, you can... It's the story and it's hard to just pinpoint one particular thing. Like, it is um, hard to make documentaries because it's... Um, I mean, in terms of uh, how to... How to... How to a documentary pay their bills. Like, you know, how do they work? Like, now we know um, TV stations and probably now we have this micro-documentary channel that... Uh, people who work with them get uh, you know get get salary and that's uh good but 
what? How about the independent side? So, mm. those are the things that I feel like. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say really, but I think the more people are aware of uh, micro documentaries or documentaries or any form of documentary and they watch it and they love it and they want it more. So when there's market, there's always. If there's market, then it's it's the things that you're producing also will have people would that would embrace it. So yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. disagree. Certainly, an expansion of the market, educating the audience in a way. Uh, it's it's never yeah. an easy thing, of course, easier uh, said than done. But I see where you're coming from, and and I agree with you on that front. My my consideration here is that uh, there, there are two points, if you will, that I wish to talk about just very briefly. My consideration here is that sometimes these kind of micro-documentary channels become so attractive that they become the primary point of knowledge or information for quite a lot of people. Now, I must admit that this is where I, I, I have a lot of biases based on my own experience as a lecturer. But what I notice is when I have a chat with my students about certain things mm-hmm. and we talk about uh, I, I bring up a, a, a point of question uh, a debate mm-hmm. to, to be considered and whatnot and I, mm-hmm. and I ask them okay what do you guys think um, and they would respond but quite a lot of their responses would be contextualized as uh, well I saw on Vox when what they said was blah 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 or uh... according to this so it becomes the main way because it's, it's like a very short a uh, relatively easy way of, of uh, getting information but that becomes for a lot of people the only point of information that they interact with and and that's the kind of stuff that I I'm not so sure I'm a big fan of I, I think maybe more a reflection of the audience than the channels or platforms themselves but nevertheless you do have very complex situations like the Indian border I was talking about just now so you know, a, a very complex situation, but compressed into a video that was what, fifteen minutes, <laughs> so, uh, give or take a few minutes here yeah. and there. Um, yeah, so you lose a lot of the context, you lose a lot of the extra stuff that is actually very very important, and I think this is significant because, in so many ways, we don't know what it is that we don't know, and whenever I think about this, the example that I always think of is not actually a micro-documentary thing, but more of a comedy show thing. So in the US, they have this show called uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And he does a lot of fantastic work. And I I really like him very much. And there's one video he did that was about wrestling. And... And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, fantastic. You know me. Me and my um, passion (laughs) uh, with wrestling and whatnot. And... It was it was good in many ways. It, he talked about uh, the, the the practices of the industry that's not very favorable to wrestlers. He brought up a, an example from a documentary made in nineteen ninety seven, I think. Or ni- was it ninety seven, ninety eight? Maybe made ninety seven, released in ninety eight. Uh, it was a documentary called Wrestling with Shadows, and then it the whole point of the whole video basically is to talk about how WWE is not good. And he used an excerpt from this particular video, which is an interview mm-hmm. with Bret Hart, uh, the, the wrestler. So Bret Hart basically said something very bad about the WWE. And then we cut back mm-hmm. to John Oliver, and John Oliver is like, yeah, just think about this. This is what this person is saying, blah, blah, blah. And 
And I get it. What he said is not wrong. But the context here is that at that time, Bret Hart really got screwed by the WWE. So if you ask Bret Hart in 1997 what what he thinks of the WWE, you're going to get an answer that is true, but it's not going to be the same answer that you would get in 2019 or 2020. Because since then, Bret Hart has mended relations uh, a bit with, with Vince McMahon or with the WWE. And now he's kind of still indirectly connected or linked uh, with the company. They, they still sell his merchandise and, and toys and whatnot. So there's now an existing relationship that is um, real and valid and relevant. And that was not brought up in, in the video. So basically, I only know about this because I happen to be a big fan of wrestling. For people who don't know wrestling and people who watch this and then people who feel... Oh, you know, this is actually very, very upsetting. Uh, deceiving. It, yeah. Well, it's, that's the thing. It's not really deceiving. It's just that it, the extra context, you lose uh, out on that. Okay. And if you don't know that subject matter, you don't know what mm. it is that you're losing out on. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand. So, so there is that thing here that I feel that this kind of documentary can, can be misleading as well you, you watch for instance um videos from test tube uh news or seeker daily and whatnot and they're about four five six minutes long it's all good uh but at the same time you do miss out on on the extra context that would really contextualize the information even more so test tube news for instance they had this series of videos that looked at how strong is indonesia in terms of the military uh, and, and economic things and how strong is china and all this kind of stuff uh, they, so they look at China and then they do a comparison of the number of people they have in the Chinese army relative to all the other neighboring countries, for instance. And of course, if you look at China, you, you're going to need to contextualize the numbers even more. You know, if, if just a small percentage of China, the population of China is going to be bigger than the percentage of, of any other countries around China itself. So, so they had China. China is the most uh, the strongest. Why? Because they have the biggest army. You, well, yeah. But then, if you look at the percentage of the population of other countries like Indonesia or Malaysia, you see that the numbers, um, it's all relative. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because it's not realistic to have more than what fifty percent uh, <laughs> or whatever percentage, right? You can have ten percent yeah. of the people of Malaysia in the army uh, or, or five percent Kapuka. So if you break it down on that um, discussion or on that level of discussion, then the percentages are actually a lot more sensible. But if you just look at pure numbers, of course, China is always going to be bigger. Of course, Indonesia is always going to be bigger and so-called more powerful um, in that sense. And I get the point that they're making. It's just that that's the kind of extra, you know, the, the extra context that we lose out on because everything is compressed into five or six minutes. Um, mm. and, and yeah, I understand. Yeah, so that's something that... And this is the thing. It's, it's, of course, they will say, well, we are not meant to be the primary point of information. And I would agree with them. <laughs> but the way that audiences are interacting with these videos, primarily, at least <laughs> in my uh, own personal context, uh, where I see how a lot of my students are working with this, for instance... It is the primary point of information for a lot of my students. And for a select number, 
it is the only point of information. Nobody is really going to go and, and research all that much more about, you know, the Indian borders or, or whatever it is. You know, they, they are more interested in other things. And so this is the, the tricky thing. So rightly or wrongly, they have become the, I guess you could say, the, the reference point or the, the, the standard bearer for what information and, and how information is to be delivered is like. If it's not like a Vox video, people will now lose interest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that is kind of like something that, that we are losing out a bit of, which I must say, I'm thinking about this because I, I think about this kind of stuff. You know, I, maybe other people are not so concerned about this, but you know, my mindset is memang macam ni sikit lah kan? So, so yeah. Um, and the other point, I know that sounds long, uh, but I'll just try to make it brief now. The other point is that because they are seen as a standard bearer of, of this kind of information, what Vox will do about Malaysia or Indonesia becomes the main thing that people will know about Malaysia or Indonesia. And this, this is like a colonization of information and mindsets because they cover all sorts of stuff around the world. And then you think, wow, this is actually quite educational and enlightening. But then you realize that so much of the stuff that Vice or Vox uh, would cover, actually, it's all driven by bad news. You know what I mean? It's if, if, if to begin with, for instance, you think, um, oh, you know, I, I look at Indonesia and I think, oh, you know, so many people are setting up stuff here. You have BBC Indonesia, you have um, Vice Indonesia, you have CNBC Indonesia, you have all sorts of international companies coming to Indonesia and, and setting up a base in Indonesia. Meanwhile, in Malaysia, Al Jazeera is shutting down their studios in, in KL because it's just basically financially, it's just not worth it. But Indonesia, in this context for outside companies, is worth it. But then when I think about it a bit more, I realize that so much of what they are covering um, and, and, you know, putting out there on the internet, certainly Vice Indonesia, if you look at a lot of the stuff, it's all bad news. You know what I mean? And you don't really get a balanced perspective that would allow for people to think about Indonesia or Malaysia or the Philippines or whatever other countries that we're talking about here. You don't really get that balance. And, and I think that that's also quite damaging because basically, you know, what Vox says goes. Um, I don't, again, I don't know whether I'm overthinking it, but, but this colonization of information and, and mindsets or whatever. But, um, but it is something that I look at and I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. I, I just wonder, am I alone in this, Ezra? Um, <laughs> am I going crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Overthinking I'm it, maybe. Saying that like Americans or Americans lah, mm. talking about Americans like you know they somehow kind of dictate how information goes. Like they, they really push it out there, and um, I think that represent uh, all these news channel like micro documentary channel like Vox and. Um, because mm. they know they have audience and bad news travel faster than good news I think so there's always an agenda behind it mm. so, and I think um, because the sheer number of Indonesian audience uh, um, that will look good because of the numbers 
Mm. Um, that also can be one of the motivation to be in Indonesia compared to in Malaysia or or Singapore. Yeah. Um, Singapore's um, offers a different thing, like how easy it is probably to set up company. Um, how welcoming they are. Because I know in National Geographic has office in uh, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, not in Malaysia. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think those are things and if you talk about the bias and the mis I wouldn't say misinformation but the select selection of news or stories that they share are bad and I think it comes down to the objectivity and subjectivity of the reasoning behind it and it's it, it, it they they how how they want to portray a, a certain topic how they want to tell the stories it's definitely directed and 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 mold in into a way that uh is clickbaity I don't know um that would, <laughs> yeah I would agree with that you would think that would that would be the you know oh it's something bad so we what's it it creates more sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that, that's that's definitely an issue because you know it's not all bad. There's always a good thing happening also, but it get it got lost in all the other stand out bad things that this channel has been putting out there. So mm. That's kind of sad, but I think um, yeah, you should at the end of the day, it's it's you. Uh, the viewer who consume this these things and who um need to think again um about the the reason behind the content or not just take it right away. Yeah, well, more critical thinking, right? You know? Um, mm. just to <laughs> you know look at the pros and cons of things. Um. Which is what we have done here today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> hey. Yeah, it's uh, quite enlightening. Hopefully, it's it's quite uh, entertaining for you guys as well. Uh, we've tried to look at the pros and cons, but I think as a, uh, as ever, we need to point out this is not meant to be the primary point of uh, information for people to think about micro documentaries and such. Of course, you know, there, I'm I'm certain there are a lot of channels out there that we have not mentioned that have done exactly uh, a lot of the kind of stuff that we've talked about uh, that needed doing, for instance. you know, Maybe there's a lot more Malaysian channels or platforms that we've not really considered. So so that's that. Um, but yeah, for now, I think it's, it's good enough for us to, to have an idea, a greater idea, a more critical idea about micro-documentaries and such. Um, overall, I must say, uh, whatever my misgivings may be about the genre as a whole, a lot of these videos are still very good and enjoyable. I, I would really, um, I don't know, quite a number. I would just sit down and watch because they, they speak so much to what it is that I think and feel and believe in. Uh, so I, I don't really I don't really have a problem um, with the people doing this, but I, maybe it's with the people consuming it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me being me again, as I mentioned just now. But... Yeah, we all we all need to find the context, uh, the points beside the point, um, as I mentioned just now. Uh, so that's uh, very important. Ezra, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. 
most welcome. Thank you for having me. It's such a it's awesome to talk about micro documentaries and documentaries and yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, to you too as well, uh, dear listener, for having spent the time with us here today. Um, I'm now going to spend a bit more time with my son because he's like, I think he's going crazy. <laughs> uh, really trying to grab my attention over the past few minutes or so. So, <laughs> so yes, father time, father son time coming right up. Uh, Ezra, what are you up to after this? <laughs> That's right, you still have yeah. to work. I'm sorry. <laughs> I kept you up. Uh, uh, no worries. Time flies when you, when you, you know, talk about interesting stuff. Yes, exactly. And we hope that the time has flown by for you as well, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for now. Uh, any more for any more, Ezra? We're good? Yes. Okay, we're good. All is G. All is G, which I read in the WhatsApp group as Ali G. So I wondered why you suddenly just randomly said, Ezra ni kenapa tiba-tiba cakap tak Ali G ni? <laughs> exactly. Um, that's another story for another day. For now, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night and week. And we'll catch you when we catch you. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Everything is okay. I just want to play.